You're listening to the second season of the study podcast with Dr. Paul Wegner on Genesis. I'm your host, Tyler Sanders, and I'm here with Dr. Paul Wegner, who's going to give us the Hebrew word of the day. Oh, yes, and I'm I'm ready for you today. Yeah. It's a problem word, because <laughs> look, at it's, it's Abraham. Yeah. Okay. So Abram was his old name. Yep. And then Abraham is his new name. Yeah. Okay. The problem is, is we're not exactly sure what it means. Like, oh, like either one kind of. Well, Avram, that one's pretty easy. Yeah, Exalted Av. Father. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. The problem is with the other one. Um, the closest you can get is something like compassionate father hmm. or something like that. Um, but it's not even. That's not even the right Hebrew letter. Like the second mm. one is a hey instead of a hate. If it was going to be compassionate, that's what it should have been. Oh, interesting. Mistakes can be made like that when letters so at some point look similar. So, oh, it, I so see, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. But I wonder if, well, let me, let me just give you the passage yeah. and then I want to show you something. Okay. In Genesis uh, 17, 5, it says, no longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be, or Abram, your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So it, it sounds like the multitude of nations is Should explaining be. the name, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And okay. and it, it's kind of suggesting that that's how it should be understood. But even there, can you see it's a different word than than the second part of Abraham? Yeah. Yeah. So it it, it doesn't match. It's got some of the correct letters. Yeah. But we're missing some. And we have some of the right letters. It looks like. Yeah. Like you have Av again. Uh huh. Yeah, that one's pretty easy. But notice that one starts with a, a resh. Yeah. This one starts with a hey. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like goofed up. You've got two of the right letters, uh-huh. but then there's a nun on the end, and that one doesn't have it. So it's basically it, it looks like like if we could just kind of say this in English, it's like we have Abram. Uh-huh. Right, that's showing up in, in Hebrew. So it's like and your we, name is Abram, and we've got that. Fine. You will be Abraham, which we have that pretty clearly in Hebrew. And then it, the the um, definition of that, basically, this kind of second part of the verse, says, "Yeah, for I will make you the father of nations." And I guess it's father of a multitude of nations. Is that actually what that word actually uh, precisely means? Yeah, the kind of because father, father of a, we have that right. Yeah, father of a multitude, and then nations is that next word. So father of a multitude, and it's mm. it's like half. Half there, have not. That's half interesting. The, half the correct letters. Yeah, fascinating. Okay. And here's the problem. I don't know the answer to this oh, one. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, here, in, in the verse right ahead of the one we just did, yeah. it says, And as for uh, me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. So it's mm-hmm. got the same thing. Yeah. This and, is the right the verse right ahead of it. Yeah, and it's and it still doesn't have the proper thing. So huh. so what I'm wondering is, is it possible that both these words are Akkadian? Because mm. there is something like Ram and, and Raham could maybe be fa- uh, loving father in Akkadian, and that could be then compassionate father huh. in that. So maybe that's what's going on. It's kind of a borrowed word, basically. Yeah. That's, is that like kind of transliterated back into Hebrew or something like that? Um, more uh, taking the meaning of it and, oh, okay, and doing okay. it. Um, now, some, like Sarah, uh, you know how Sarai mm-hmm. is her first name yeah. and then Sarah is the second one? Yeah. Um, Sarai, is, is, it means princess, but it's, it's an older form of ending on it. Hmm. And then Sarah is the more... It's a princess again, but yeah. it means it's in the Hebrew more like modern, you'd expect. It yeah, to or be. contemporary kind yeah. of. Yeah. So this is kind of funny. You'd expect Avraham oh, to be the same kind of. To fit it better a yeah, little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, 
we've got a problem and I'm not sure how to solve it. <laughs> I thought I'd That's start off. Just I'd, kick yeah, off, I'd start yeah. off with this dilemma for us. Sorry, <laughs> but okay. So we're in this area. Remember the we saw the big picture of Genesis. We're yeah. in the history of Terah. Yeah. And that's going to be, Abraham is going to be the main character in there. Okay? All right. So remember we talked about this where the genealogy goes from the line of Shem? Yeah, yeah. And that split, yeah. Uh And then now we're at Peleg, and now we're coming down to Abram. Yeah. Okay? All right. Here's interesting, too. Uh, Terah, remember he has, Terah has three sons, Mm -hmm. Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And then Haran um, is the one that's going to die so that Lot doesn't have his father is now dead. Yeah. And so Abraham takes Lot yeah, yeah, yeah. almost like kind of almost adopts him. Yeah, almost like that. Like, yeah, at least he takes close. care of him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um barrenness has always been a problem in the ancient Near East. And mm. barrenness, especially in Genesis, is going to be a problem for our patriarchs. If they can't carry on the line, we have a problem. Yeah. So yeah. so that's that's why it's extremely important for our why our, the our genealogies problem. are important. Uh-huh. Yeah. And especially that idea of barrenness in them. I see. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you notice this too. Notice Abraham and Sarah, they're up in the same um genealogy line with Nahor and Haran. Mm-hmm. This one is down one. And that's because remember they get married so late that it almost like skips a generation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Lot's actually down in the next one where Abraham and Sarah are kind of up in yeah. the uh, genealogy ahead of them. Yeah. <laughs> but we know it's because they got married so late. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now the question is, is because he it says he comes from Ur the Chaldeans. Mm. So the question is, where is it? Yeah. And most people have argued it the southern Ur. Um, it's it's most common after Wooly found a city called Ur. Okay. Oh, interesting. But Ur okay. in, in Semitic is just means city. So <laughs> it's like <laughs> city. Well, of course it's a city. You yeah, know? Yeah. So so to have a, a, a city called that doesn't surprise us at all. Yeah. So it's probably a pretty common name. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we've not excavated a northerner, so we don't know if there's one up there too. But the evidence for the northerner is pretty strong. Okay. The Chaldeans uh, lived in the northern area before 1000 BC. Okay. Yeah. And, and remember, um, the Chaldeans are during, uh, they, they talk about, mm-hmm. um, well, later on it becomes... Uh, where Babylon is, yeah. but Chaldean was an earlier tribe from there. Mm. But they were up north before, early in the yeah. uh, like in the before a thousand BC. Yeah. Okay. And then Mesopotamian literature actually talks about a northern Ur, uh, Mari, and, and meaning like a, as like a proper noun kind of. Yeah, as being like a city, city up in that of, area. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. Mari and um, uh, some of the texts up there actually refer to it. So it seems like that's possible. And then uh, when people go back to their family, remember they always go back up to the northern part, not down to Ur, where they would have been. Yeah. So it's possible uh, because Haran becomes the place where they almost like um, Terra dies there and stuff mm. like that, but you'd still expect them to go back to their family, you know, where they're, they're yeah. they would have come their from. Origin, kind of. Yeah. So I'm actually thinking there's a pretty good evidence that there's a northerner, even though we haven't found it yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So just I don't know. It's a big debate among Old Testament scholars for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What I wanted to do now is talk about the four parts of the covenant. Okay. Abraham is going to make a covenant with God, right? Yeah. It starts in Genesis 12. Remember, he's 75 years old. Yeah. It doesn't get completed until he has the oath in Genesis 22. 
Mm. And we know that that's, he's, you know, Abraham's over 100 because he has an uh, Isaac when he's 100. Yeah. And Isaac's old enough to say, hey, you know, we got the fire in the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt oh, offering? Right, right. So he's yeah. smart, smart enough to figure yeah. that out. So this this covenant could take over 25 years yeah. to happen. Yeah. And it's just kind of, I don't know of any other covenant that takes that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, I think, amazing. These are all the elements of the covenant. Yeah. And some of them are, like, crucial. Like, yeah. to, to make a promise... You know, that's kind of like how it all started. You almost yeah. need that. The enactment is crucial because they've got to, when they went through the parts of the animal, remember Abraham does that, mm-hmm. and he's basically taking the curses on himself if he breaks it. Yeah. And so God walks through the pieces, but that's that's a crucial part of it. Yeah. The sign's not necessary, but God probably knows we forget a lot. So that's probably why a sign was crucial or, or important yeah. anyway. And then an oath is crucial. That's a, a crucial element. So three of these out of four are crucial yeah, parts critical. of the covenant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, let's start looking at them. All right. Let's look at this one. Right. Genesis 12, 12 is where it yeah? starts. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So the first part is going to have an element of land to it, okay? You, uh, you, uh, I will make you a great nation, so that'll be a second part of yeah. it. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. And so you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So I put, I put number three as the relationship, because when, mm. when he says... Those who bless you, I'll bless, and those who curse you. That means that God's going to have a part with him yeah. in a relationship. Well, and he's going to relate to other people the same way they relate yeah. to Abram, basically, yeah. right? Okay. All right, so there's our parts. Now, what's interesting is there is actually a covenant for each one of the parts. Hmm. Um, and in fact, under the nation, there are going to be actually be two covenants that, that kind of monitor what happens in that area, like okay. like the land. Um, in, De- in, in uh, Deuteronomy 29.1, mm-hmm. you've got uh, the covenant with Moab, Okay, but it talks about the land that God's going to give them. So Deuteronomy 29 says, or 1 says, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. Do you remember... Okay. An, what Mount Horeb is? No. Uh, that's another name for Mount Sinai. Oh, okay, okay. So what covenant did he make with them at Mount Sinai? The law. Oh, yeah. of course. So he's making... That one is the law that he makes with them. Yeah. This is a different covenant, and it says besides a, that one. In addition, basically? Yeah. yeah. If you remember Deuteronomy... Is a is a, is I think it's all of a it is a covenant and it's it's telling them basically that when you get into the land this is how I want to respond with you and yeah. you make sure you do this so yeah. it, it, it's it's in this it's in the form of a um, suzerain vessel Hittite treaty okay and it's got all the it's all the parts and and it basically was made right before they go into the land yeah okay now how how is how is this relating back to the covenant in twelve. Yeah. Is this like a continuation of that? Is that kind of... I think what happens is the Abrahamic covenant is Uh like the big one over everything. Yeah. And then these littler ones are how they, uh, how each part of them is going to be... Kind of monitored or something? Yeah, executed. You say monitored. You mean like kind of like... uh, Kind of watched over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so so we've got this one covering the land and saying, mm-hmm. and what's interesting in like De- Deuteronomy 29, it, if you go on from that passage, it talks about, and if you want to stay in this land, you obey my covenants and don't follow after other gods and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So it makes it real clear, this is what you need to do if you want to be in this land. Yeah, okay. Okay? Yeah. So that's the one. Uh, here's a good example of it. Now, uh, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but with those who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God and those who will uh, who are not with us here today. For you know that uh, we lived in the land of Egypt and we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood and stone and silver and gold, which they had. So, and he goes on from there and giving warnings to stay away from those and, yeah. and don't follow them. Yeah. So that's, I thought that was maybe a good example of, of uh, notice it's not with just Israel or mm. the ones that were alive that day. It's with the ones that are coming after them yeah. too. Yeah. So I thought that was helpful. Yeah. Um, now, each one of these not only have um, the land promise talked about, but mm-hmm. uh, each one of the parts will have multiple places where it's referred to in the Old Testament. Okay. But then in the New Testament, it even advances it further. Oh, really? Like, yeah, like in the New Testament, on uh, I've got this from Romans uh, 4.13. For the promise to Abram or to his descendants that they would be heirs of the world was not through the law, but through ra- the righteousness mm. of faith. So notice... Not just heir of the land yeah. of Israel, yeah. it's heir of the world. Interesting. So it's yeah, expanded yeah, yeah. Right, into Right, yeah, yeah, it's a, continued, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that's neat. That every, is good. Every yeah. one of these will have some kind of a uh, explanation of an expansion to yeah. it. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. All right, our second one, the nation, is going to have the Mosaic Covenant, and that will cover the people. I, bet, I think our best example is that ex- Exodus um, 19. Here's what it says. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession from all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, Mm -hmm. and you shall be to me a covenant of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. I think that part of, do you understand what it's saying? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Mm. See, a priest, what did a priest do? Well, they acted on behalf of the people okay. to and, God, right? Yeah, basically a go-between, right? Yeah. So they are going to be God's go-between to the people. Yeah, He's saying that Israel is going to be a kingdom of priests, meaning he'll be, they'll be the go-between between all the other nations yeah. and God. Yeah. So in the New Testament, when, it, when Paul, I was just reading that this morning, it talked about mm-hmm. how Paul, it first went to the uh, Jews, and now it's going to the yeah. Gentiles. The same idea here. He's going to use Israel to spread his his kingdom yeah. throughout all the other nations. Yeah. So I thought that's kind of neat. It's, it's neat to call it a kingdom of priests. It is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then the holy nation meant that if you followed the law, you would be my holy people, and you'd be sure. a good example to everybody. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we know the problem is they didn't do that, right? Even, yeah. even though <laughs> I think I've got the next verse, yeah. when they, The next verse, or verse 7 says, And they took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And, he, and they said, All the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Yeah, not. For, yeah. yeah, for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. Words. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting. This is really, it, he's actually making a covenant with them, and it's p- real obvious. He even sprinkles the blood on them and says it, yeah. and, and then they claim, oh yeah, we're going to obey it. Yeah. So 
it lasted for a while anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so now that, so you see why the Mosaic Covenant covers the people? And this, yeah. if they want to be part of Abrahamic Covenant, they just follow the law, and that was what how it should work. Yeah. Okay? All right, so that's part of it. The next part is the Davidic Covenant. That's going to be for the leaders. And this is still connected to the nation yeah. covenant, or yeah, the nation yeah. section of the covenant. Right. Okay. Okay. So the first part is for the people, and now it's going to be for the leaders. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build a house, build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since they, uh, the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent, even in the tabernacle. Therefore, wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I say a word uh, with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded this, uh, commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So this is basically him going through. In a covenant, one of the first parts of it is usually what's called a historical prologue. Mm. So it basically goes through the history and explains you know, here's, what, here's our relationship, what it's been in the past, yeah. and that's what's happening here. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. It goes on too. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, uh, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them and anymore as formerly. So that's basically him making promise that he's going to give them a land, yeah. and and it, and they're not going to be kicked out of it anymore, like when they went to Egypt, they got kicked out of it oh, and all that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. basically he's given this this illustration of, or the historical prologue yeah. explaining their relationship in the past. Yeah. So that's kind of neat, because when you know that the ancient Near Eastern covenants had that in it, and then you so see, we see it. it yeah. yeah, it's real clear. Yeah. Okay, verse 11. Even from the day I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. That's like a play on the words. Remember, he wanted to make a house for God, yeah. and God's going to make a house for him instead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the house for God would have been a temple, yeah. but the house for David is going to be a family. So, mm. so, and that word has that kind of a um, range of meaning, so yeah. it can allow for it. So yeah. it's a, it's almost like a play on words here. Yeah. Okay. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, basically, he's saying. I'm not going to just make this covenant with you. I'm going to make it with all those sons yeah. that come forth from you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, so when he says uh, you're up your descent, I will make or I will raise up your descendant after you. Um, I should ask you, who do you think that descendant is? Solomon, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I thought I could catch it. Almost all of my students I can catch. They always think it's Jesus. But, oh, really? But in this passage, it can't be. Yeah, uh, yeah. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next verse really makes that impossible to be Jesus. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, yeah. I, <laughs> I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Wow. So, But do you see what he's saying? God's promise that when he... When he He's going to have children that continue on after him, and the way he's going to work with them, he's not going to take his relationship away like he did with Saul. Yeah. Instead, he's going to chasten his 
family members yeah, yeah, yeah. with the nations around them. Right. And that's exactly what happened throughout yeah. most of Israel's history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted you to see that. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. That, this, oh, is kind yeah. of, this is kind of interesting. So this commitment to David is now going to be continuing unlike with what he did with Saul. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. Mm -hmm. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Mm. So that's kind of neat. So what he's doing now is saying, okay, not only do you need people in this nation, you need leaders to rule them. And I'm going to have a special relationship with them that when they disobey, I'm going to chasten them with... uh, you know, the yeah, nations the that are around yeah, yeah. them and stuff like that. Yeah. So we usually call the the first one is the Mosaic Covenant. We mm-hmm. saw that earlier. But now this one is usually called the Davidic Covenant. Yeah. And it's made to David to carry on his line. Yeah. Now, I think the reason he can say, notice it says several times that he will carry it on forever. Mm. I think the reason he can do that is because Jesus is the one that Remember how important it was for David or for Jesus to be in the Davidic line. Yeah. Both Matthew and uh, Luke make sure those genealogies yeah. connect it to David, and that's because I think that's how he can carry it on forever. Yeah, Even yeah. though there's going to be little breaks in it, um, mm-hmm. you know, after the exile, there's no real king on the throne yeah, for a while. Right, right. And and but those little breaks aren't anything compared to the huge time that carrying on forever that Jesus yeah. is going to be yeah. the one sitting on the throne. Okay, does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got two parts now. We've got the land part, uh-huh. and we've got the nation part. And the nation part is also two yeah, parts, has two parts to in it. terms of like the actual people and the leaders. Yep. Yep. So there's a third part. There's one more part, and that one I call the relationship part. <laughs> All right. And, and basically, it's the new covenant uh, in Jeremiah 31. Okay. All right. Now, notice it says, uh, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I thought you, I thought you believed that you had a part of the new covenant. Do you? I think so. Are you Jewish? No. <laughs> so how does this work? How can it be with the house of Israel and Judah? Well, first of all, how do you know that you got a part of this covenant? Well... That's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I kind of... What I'm thinking of is uh, uh, how Gentiles are grafted in. Okay. That's kind of what I've... Where I would assume that, okay. that logic kind of flows through. Let me right? give you... Like a, a branch kind of grafted yeah. into the rooted tree. Let me give you... Well, um, look at the... Here, this is this is uh, from Matthew... Or First Corinthians. Uh, I found that more... It, it actually had the word new covenant in oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed... You know what this coming, right? This mm-hmm. is the Lord's Supper, right? Yep. Um, that he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this and remember it's me. In the same way he took the uh, cup also after supper saying, this is the this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It makes it real clear. This is for us. Yeah. So how did it go from being to... Covenant for Israel and Judah. Yeah, to now us having a part in it. I think the answer is found in the verses right before the new covenant passage. Okay. Remember, uh, we were starting at verse 31. Yeah. If you go to verse 27, it, it says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of men and with the seed of beast. 
Is that good or bad? Sowing them with the seed of men and beasts. It sounds bad, like it's mixing in outsiders. Okay. So it uh, seems like from you know, okay, the Old Testament perspective, it may be kind of like I was, we're not supposed to do that. I was hoping you were going to say it was good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Here, so you could correct me? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to have to correct you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Sorry. It but, is good. Yeah, because um, if you have a few uh, people in the Old yeah. Testament, that's not as good as if you have a lot of them. What okay. he says, I'm going to put more na- people into your nation, so you're going to have a whole lot more people. Oh, so this is like, when it says, this this is saying an expansion of yes. your people. Yeah. Not like bringing in outside people nope. into, oh, okay. I okay, so it's, 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 it's making your... Kingdom yeah, yeah, bigger. we're going to grow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it will come about that after I've watched over them to pluck up and break down or overthrow to destroy and to bring disaster. That's all the first party did, remember? Yeah. And now we're talking about Jeremiah, right? So in the past, Jeremiah is about the exile time. Mm-hmm. So he can see in the past and say, look what I've done. I've broken you down and doing that. And even now at the exile, you can see. You've been broken down, overthrown, destroyed, and all that. But then what he says, so I will watch over you to build and to plant. So now it says, okay, you've got, that's all in the past. Now you're going to be, uh, I'm going to watch over you to build and to plant you. Okay. Now, once again, is that good or bad? That sounds good. That's good. Okay. Because yeah. remember, even said that I'm going to plant you in the land and you're not going to be uprooted again, mm-hmm. meaning... Not like the exile time period. Okay. All right. Now, the next part is a little harder. In those days, they will not say again, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Do you understand what it means in verse 29 when it says, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. I don't think I totally understand that. Okay, let me show you where it comes from. Yeah. It comes from Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, 18.1, it says, what do you mean, I'm going to start verse two. What do you mean by using the proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers ate the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. So both Jeremiah and Ezekiel are in a time period where the fathers got them into trouble they ate the sour grapes, and now they're saying that children are, are suffering the for that. Of that. Yeah, they're sitting in the exile, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So they're saying, oh, yeah, it was our fathers that did all, all this bad stuff. They right. sinned and stuff like that, and we're having to pay for it. Yeah. So he's saying, but, and then he goes on and says, but the one who's, the soul who says he will die. Yeah. So it's, it takes that same part. So let's go back to our passage again. So if it says, in those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth, why would, why would people not blame other people for their sin? Because things are going right. Or? And we're, getting, we're taking responsibility for ourselves. That's it. Yeah. So here's these people after the exile that... So what kind of people take responsibility for their own sins? Responsible people? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the Old Testament, we call them a righteous remnant. Okay. Right? It would be a people... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A people that realize... They've actually sinned yeah, themselves. Repented. Yeah. Yeah. And so so we've yeah. sinned. So we're suffering from our own consequences. We can't blame our fathers for that. Yeah. So so basically in the context right before the the new covenant. Yeah, we have this idea that people are gonna be taking yeah. care of themselves. So what it means is it's talking about a righteous remnant that's gonna be of Israel and Judah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. So yeah. the context right before it tells us that that the people that are are actually 
going into the Israel and Judah yeah. are the ones that actually know that they're punished, being punished for their own sins yeah. and are willing to say, hey, I want to get this taken care of. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I think this then helps me to understand. Now, am I part of the uh, remnant, uh, believing remnant of the Old Testament? And I'd say I sure am. Yeah. And and we got that from that promise that remember by faith Abraham said that you're gonna you're gonna have uh, uh, not only the land of Israel but the whole world. Yeah. Remember that passage we read? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a similar kind of expansion. Yeah. So and and so I think what's going on here is the people that are going into the new covenant are the people are the righteous remnant that realize that they're sinners and they need it taken care of. And now that. It's not through just like the bloodline. It's really about exactly your, the righteousness. Essentially, yeah. it's like a line of righteousness. Yeah, and then when you get to the new covenant, that makes or in the New Testament, it makes yeah. it a lot clearer how they get into that. Right, right. At this part, it doesn't make it real clear how you get into it, but you know you're a believing remnant because you're not blaming other people for your sin. But the implication here is it's a remnant of yeah Israel still, and, and that is see even the new covenant is talking about a future time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the new covenant as we see it in Jeremiah. Yeah, and even this yeah. context, remember it says. Um, so I will watch over them to build into plants. So yeah, it's yeah. part of the future restoration part, yeah. not the past punishment part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay? Yeah. All right, so now we know why this new covenant is for us. <laughs> yeah. All that. Sorry about that. There was a lot of steps there, but that, that I think that's pretty sensible. Yeah. I, but I think that's yeah, that actually really sense, important yeah. too, right? Because yeah. the new covenant now is with that righteous remnant that's going on and, and doing having all these things happen. Yeah, yeah. And this is spinning out of still Genesis 12, yeah, verse 3, essentially, right? Yeah. Remember, uh, it talked about those three parts, yeah. and the relationship was the main part, mm-hmm. or not the main part, but the a very important part. Yeah. And the new covenant is going to now explain that relationship part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then it further expands. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll show you that too. Okay. okay. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, let me just stop there. Which covenant was that? Uh, where were we at? Um, oh, sorry. It oh, took them out of the land of Egypt. Remember, right after they come out, they go out to Mount Sinai. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Mosaic Covenant, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. But he said, it's not going to be like that one. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. That's actually really important. He's he's basically saying, it was the Israelites that broke it. I was I was a husband to him, meaning mm-hmm. I kept my part of the bargain. Yeah. They were the ones that wandered away. Mm-hmm. So it makes it real clear that God, it wasn't God's fault, it was theirs. Yeah. Okay, so which covenant did they break? That was pretty obvious, that Mosaic covenant. Yeah. Okay? All right. But this is the covenant will I make with the house of Israel in those, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Mm-hmm. What does it mean when it says he will write the law within them and on their heart? Any idea how that happens? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I think I have like a probably very Christianese kind of answer. Actually, that may be okay right now. Oh, really? <laughs> I actually believe it means the Holy Spirit, mm. who is the author of Scripture, is one of these days going to live inside you. Yeah. It's not going to be an external one. Like, remember in the Old Testament, the um, the Holy Spirit comes upon people yeah. to do a job and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He promises in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, like dwelling. yeah, that it's going to come inside of us. Yeah. And a verse that I think is really helpful is John 14. 
15, uh, 16, and, eight, yeah. and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word another is the word alas. That means mm-hmm. another of the same kind. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So that's and, great. Yeah, another of the same kind as Jesus, yeah, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. All right. Um, and that he will be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the word world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Remember when John's writing, the Holy Spirit hadn't been sent yet. Yeah. So so he's still, Jesus hadn't died on the cross and gone up to heaven to yeah. send the Spirit. So it's saying he abides with you, but he will be in you. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant verse. And then and, and sometimes we get a little, I think, don't understand the Holy Spirit very well. Mm. But Romans 8, 9 tells us, however, you are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So I think he's telling us, and and notice, it's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So it's it's actually almost the Trinity right there. Mm. But he's saying that if you don't have him, you're not you don't belong to him which kind of ties back into that righteous remnant i think yeah right? this is probably the defining mark of what yeah how did how do you become yeah a god-fearer or a person a righteous remnant yeah you have the spirit living inside you yeah okay all right does that make sense yeah for okay sure. so that's that's the first part okay i i will write my law in their hearts so that was that part um, uh, they shall not uh, teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Let me just stop there for a minute. Yeah. That one's got to be kind of hard, too, because we know that not everybody is going to know, not everybody's going to become a believer, right? Yeah, and, right, and right. So that can't be what it means. So what does it mean? And here's how I understand it. I understand it. I could have made you squirm a little, but I decided not to. <laughs> but what I think it means is, remember in the Old Testament, you had to have a priest to get have a relationship yeah, yeah. with God. You had to go through a priest. Mm-hmm. I think what it's saying is that now everyone can go to God directly because of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. He's our high priest, and we can go through him directly to God. So I think we don't need a go-between anymore. The the reformers used to talk about this as the priesthood of all believers, yeah. and I think that's what it's getting at. All of us are going to be able to go to God through Jesus because of what He's done for us. So it's kind of like the potential almost. Yeah, we all have access. Yes, and, you know my best example of this mm. is it, remember when the veil in the temple gets ripped from yeah. top to bottom. Yeah. That means there's an opening now to the most. Remember, they could only a priest could only go in once a year. The high priest, yeah, yeah. And there was and, a whole ritual, yeah, and all that. And, yeah. Now it's ripped open, so that it's a great picture of us being able to go in anytime we want to. Yeah, now. and he's done. We've done it because of what Jesus has done for right, us. Right, right. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah, that is. All right. Now the next part is the harder part. Oh no! It gets harder. No, it's no, no. That was the hard part. This <laughs> okay. one actually is the, the great part. All right, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sin. I will remember so no more. So that's just the last part of verse thirty-four. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
The only other place where I know that it says, I, I will remember your sins no more. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the first part, uh, I will forgive your sins, that's regular, right? You see that yeah, yeah. throughout the Old Testament. Offering a sacrifice was to forgive mm-hmm. your sins and stuff like that. That's, that's often talked about. I only know of two times where it says, your sins I will remember no more. Mm-hmm. The first one is in Jeremiah here. Uh-huh. The other one is in Isaiah. And he's talking about a time, he says, I, even I, am the one who wipes away your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your, uh, and I not remember your sins. So he's talking about Israel, and he's saying, I'm the one that wipes out sins so they are no more. Yeah. And so he's talking about this. Remember, God is omniscient, so he knows everything, right? So why would he not be able to remember our sins? And my response is, because when Jesus died on the cross, he obliterated them. They are gone. Hmm. So he can't remember them because they're not there anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love that word, obliterate, yeah. right? So it's actually saying that Jesus, God cannot remember our sins anymore. What's obvious? Because they're gone. Yeah. So when Jesus takes care of our sins, and, and it's kind of neat because he did it past, present, and future. Right. He wipes out all our sins. That kind of, that kind of puts a dilemma then in. Then then why do you ask for forgiveness of sins? If they're already taken care of, why do you ask for forgiveness? Yeah. I mean, I've thought about this a lot, actually. I mean, even when I was really young, I would kind of, that was always a question to me. And then you'd see kind of maybe in like a Catholic tradition where it's like a a kind of uh, ritual is probably too small of a word, Mm -hmm. but it's a practice, right? A continual kind of practice where you go confess your sins. Yeah. So why do you do that? My sense has been that it's for us, maybe, there's something good in confession for us to acknowledge that we've done wrong and then try to get back onto the path, right? And I know you're married. Yeah. Right? So, so that means it, let's say that your husband, that your wife and you have a, a problem. Yeah. The, the thing you have to do is you have to go ask for forgiveness, right? To yeah, clear yeah. that away. Yeah. I actually think that's what's happening between God and us. Hmm. When we sin, it's like a blot between us and God. Yeah. And the only way to get that taken care of is to ask for forgiveness for it and and say, God, I want the, our relationship to be open and 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 again, you know, renew it again. Yeah. And we, we all as parent or as parents have had that relationship. Mm-hmm. As husband and wife, we've had that that. Our relationships need to be healed, yeah. and the best way to do that is to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. So I think it's a good example of why do we do it between you and God is for the same reason. You want that relationship to be opened up between both of you. Okay. Yeah, I think that helps me, Yeah. and it helps me understand it. Yeah. All right, so here's, here's my, there's sin I will remember no more. That's really good news. Yeah. Remember, I, I like the Old Testament. It's, it's my favorite <laughs> part of the Bible. But I don't want to live in the Old Testament. Yeah. I want to live under these new things that the new covenant has. Yeah, of course, he yeah. puts the Holy Spirit within us. Yeah, yeah. I can go to him anytime I want to. Yeah, yeah. And his sins, sins are, no longer, are no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Um, oh, and here's the advancement. Remember I told you that all of them have the advancement? Yeah. So now, um, this is in Acts. It says, it is uh, it, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Ab- Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Notice he's picking up that passage that yeah. we talked about. Yeah. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning everyone from your wicked ways. So basically he's saying, all right, here's his servant, meaning Jesus yeah. has been brought 
to turn us off from our wicked ways. Yeah. So now he's saying, and remember, in in the Old Testament, it's Israel is mm-hmm. the main one he's working with. Yeah. Now it's everyone. It's expanded. Yeah. yeah. So that's the expansion here. Yeah. The other passage is kind of neat too. Remember he talks uh, in Ephesians, he talks about breaking down that middle wall of partition mm-hmm. that has separate the Jews from the Gentiles, yeah. and now we can both come to him. Yeah. And I think that's an, also a, a great passage that it reminds us that 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 wall's been broken down. Yeah. Now we can come to There's him. kind of two walls broken down, right? Yeah. Because there's the wall between us and God, and then also yep. between, between peoples. Yeah, with others. Yeah. Good. All right. So those are our big picture. So what we've got is we've got the three, well, the three parts to the covenant, and then four covenants that monitor those parts. Yep. Then we've got advancements in each of those areas. What I didn't show you because I didn't have t- uh, enough room on here is that they're all often repeated in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So they re- are reiterated and told us that, yeah, God's going to make this. us a nation and all yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah. Um, but then we've got this uh, expansion in the New Testament. Yeah. Okay. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I put down here, Abraham receives all these things he gave up in Ur and even much more from Yahweh. Yeah. And so not only that, but he's now, he's got a relationship for all of us, which I think is amazing. Yeah. All right, so I have one more question, or maybe not one more, but I wanted to ask you, is the Abrahamic covenant conditional or unconditional? I mean, it seems conditional. Yeah. On like, the surface, for sure. The like, part that we've looked at in Genesis 12, it's basically he had to leave, leave his family yeah. and go to a land that I will show him, right? Yeah. In Genesis 15, it looks like it's unconditional. Remember, God mm. is the one walking through the parts all by himself. Yeah. So he's, it means he's taking the curses on him. Abraham's passed out on the side, remember? Yeah. So it, God's actually taken the curses if he breaks it. Yeah. So I actually... You can look at both these and say, what's going on here? Yeah. My response is, the conditional part is in Genesis 12, and it's if Abraham wants to have a pro- this promise with God. Okay. Remember, every time you make a covenant, you have to have buy-in. You yeah, have yeah, to yeah. be the one that says, it costs yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, I want to have this covenant with you. That was Abraham's uh, w- choice to say, okay, if you want this covenant, leave your family, leave your, fa- uh, yeah. your, your place, and go to the land I will show you. Yeah. So that's him saying, I want to make this covenant with you. Once he agrees to that, everything else I think God's taking over. He handles. So I'm going to argue it's unconditional, but the conditional part is, do you want to have it with him? Yeah. And once that's made, and, and every covenant needs that, right? You can't have two, a covenant unless both yeah. people agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why, but it's always a good question to ask. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think like yeah. it's an interesting question to ask because it continues on. Exactly. You know, as the as this covenant expands, yeah, because it seems a little bit of both, yeah. Now today too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you still have this dilemma. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Um, leaving Haran indicated that Abraham wanted to have this covenant with God. If he stayed in the land, in the land, he would be choosing not to. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to show you one more thing. This is basically Abraham's sojourn in the land, mm-hmm. and that's where he's stopping at all these places. So he goes to Shechem, and he offers a sacrifice there, then goes to Bethel, and and then then he goes... You know, it's funny. Um, he makes this... this you know, just just got done making this uh, promise to him and says, I'm going to give you a land. Yeah. And then he finds out that the land has, has a drought in it. <laughs> what kind of land is this? So I could see Abraham saying... Wait a minute! Couldn't I have a better land than yeah, this? Right. <laughs> so anyway, he goes off to Egypt and then later comes back. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. So God is going to use Abraham to fix the problem of sin. And that's what this chapter 12 is all about. He's starting to get the plan on how he's going to do it. Yeah. So it's kind of big picture really helping us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, And through Abraham, God is going to bless all the families of the earth. You saw that in... uh, And how does that happen? Well, he brings Jesus to be that, that propitiation for all of them. Yeah. Okay? Uh, The plan involved three parts. There's a land, there's a nation, and a blessing. Mm -hmm. And then each part had a covenant, one at least, maybe two, uh, to monitor that part of the covenant. And so the the nation has two parts, but the rest of them are all Yeah, the leaders and the people. Yeah. Yeah. The new covenant promises three blessings. The Holy Spirit will live in us. We will all have access to God. And three, he will totally remove our sins. Mm -hmm. And that's an exciting part, I think. Yeah, that's really good news, yeah. (laughs) The Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. That means that God's going to see it through. Yeah. Once he's, once we, uh, our job is to make that commitment to him. Once that commitment is made, then he will see it through and make sure it happens. Yeah. That's kind of exciting, too. It is. It's very exciting. I mean, that's the only way it'll... Yeah. Actually work. Succeed. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you... Th- what do you think about that? Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot, I think, in this uh, in this episode. That was really fantastic, Good. though. But I think this one is the fun one because there's so much. Next yeah. next time when we come back, I'll show you the like the enactment part. How, what does that mean? Yeah. And then the sign part. What does that mean? So we'll go through those other parts. But I yeah. thought this was the the best one to see big picture what it's all about. It's very big picture. Yeah. I think that's kind of uh, what's a little challenging about it is it, it is really big. This is kind of yeah. you're kind of seeing the rest of the Bible through this. Exactly. You know, this kind of sets up the rest of uh, rest of Scripture in a lot of ways. Yeah. A lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. So next week, we're going to continue talking about Abraham. And we'll see those other covenants and yeah. what, what they add to it. Okay. That sounds good. All well, right. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks to Thank see you. Thank <laughs> you.